0: Did you know that it is Asian American Pacific Islanders Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Carden, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted To the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned brands at Macy's.com or in store. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high performance TVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. Sirius XM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little, little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via Kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash ev6 kia movement that inspires hello literally listeners for the next few weeks i'm showcasing some of my favorite podcast episodes and today's incredibly special to me please enjoy my chat with the spectacular demi moore
1: <laughs> oh, there you are!
0: There you are! <laughs> there you are! There you are! Where are you? I'm in a uh, what do they call it? A uh, what do they put like the one person during the State of the Union so that you survive a nuclear blast? And, oh, unsecured location. Yes. Which happens to be my basement. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. So there's certain people in a career that you are always affiliated with. People always think of you, you know, um, in the collaborations that you've done together. And there's just something about Demi Moore above and beyond the fact that she's a tremendous movie star, uh, fashion icon, author, and has a new podcast called Dirty Diana, Wow. which is where our conversation begins. You know, provocateur, um, headline grabber, all the things that we know about, beautiful, great voice, all the things that we know about Demi. But there's, there's something about her that has always captured people's imagination. And two of the movies that we did together about last night and St. Elmo's Fire are, I think, kind of emblematic of a very specific time and place. And um, so there's a lot to unpack <laughs> Uh, with Demi. So, um, buckle up for this one. This is, this is, this is, I think the one you've been waiting for, me Moore. When I read that you were, were doing this, I was like, oh, wait one fucking second. This is going to be my girl Demi with that voice that the world loves and erotica. I'm fucking in. I'm in, I'm in it to win it. But, but it's, it, it is, but it's, but it's, you're. I thought you would like literally be reading something, but you're performing. It's a performance yeah. series. It's just. It's like an, Is it not? Is it unfair to say it's like a what would have been a, a radio show in the 30s? No, no. But now very.
1: Hundred percent. That is what it is. I mean, it's got all of the Foley sound. You know, you have to find the the way in which to help the audience move to being you're now in another room, you know, with sounds. And what's interesting is after, you know, when I started to hear the episodes cut together, you know, there's subtle things as actors that we communicate that only through visual, do you, can you, um, you know, that is kind of felt and, you know, and seen through a slight look where the voice may be of course, expressing something different. So, it was a really interesting learning curve, you know, realizing that in some ways you have to be more literal.
0: Mm. I learned a lot from your podcast. And one is, like you said, the the foley, by the way, for for the non-professionals out there, the F- foley is when, like, you go into a studio and you make footsteps. Like, all the stuff that you've ever seen on screen, half of it has never been recorded. It's been recorded afterward, and that, that process is called foleying. And my favorite was the first time I ever went to a foley stage watching a love scene being foleyed. So you can imagine what they do to create those love making noises. And let me just say, it's fucking gross. And <laughs> it can make you never want to see a love scene. So they take their own hands and they go.
1: Oh, by the way, you see me, okay. I'm, by the way, we did kiss our own hands. hands? We did. I mean, it was, oh, yes, we it. did have to do a few of those. Can you? Say, can you just? I must just, just say for- no. I'm not going to do it. I oh, must come say, on. Very, it was very difficult trying to time some moments in the love scene that I had to do in this. At least it's it's equally as awkward as doing it on film. Um, <laughs> you know, this podcast is something that's really interesting and beautiful. Um, Shauna Festi, who wrote it, based this on her relationship with her husband. And, you know, it's very, very personal. And I've never seen something written where it starts with the couple really fractured um, who end up coming together. So uh, Shauna and um, her husband were at a really low place. They had stopped having sex. Their, you know, relationship ended. They had no communication and certainly no communication about sex. And they ended their marriage. He had a girlfriend, she had a boyfriend and they found their way back. And they today now have three, three kids and he produced the podcast. So it's, there was something about that separate than, you know, just the aspect of the podcast being, uh, you know, about looking at sex through the female gaze, um, because porn generally or erotica generally, um, has been geared towards the, the male gaze and, you know, like it, it's filmed badly. The stories are bad. I don't believe it. You know, we all know this, like, you know, cookie cutter orgasm sound that's, Fake as fuck. And so we wanted to have something that actually like was an honest reflection of, of what it is for a woman. And yeah. it's, an, it's an interesting thing because I realized we're not taught about orgasm. And I feel like young men, it they figure it out. Um, oh, whether, we figure it out. Whether they oh, want to or not. Oh, we figure it out. So then what happens is you're like, hey, I know how I work. You get with a girl. You don't know how she works. We require a little bit more finesse. We don't know what how, how we work. You don't know how we work. And so then we're left where it's kind of quickly over and it's like, okay, that was it. So it puts us already at a point of disconnection at the word go. So if Hmm. we were educated in a way that actually made this conversation just more normal and more open, like understanding, like I sat in, I don't know if you, you probably didn't, but I sat in on my kid's sex ed class and I was like, they spoke about disease and fear of being pregnant, um, male orgasm because that gets you pregnant, and that was it. I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Where's the other discussion?" I so, want to be in
0: that. I want to be in that eighth grade class uh, <laughs> where they hit you with that, with that, and then Demi Morris in the back room went, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> whoa wait, what about my orgasm?"
1: <laughs> hey. It's an important element in changing the future of this that, um, like, it's just a, it's really important. It's really important to kind of blast this wide open because there's a lot of um, conditioned shame that resides um, still. And, um, you know, it's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people.
0: Um, what's the, yeah? what's the reaction been for you? Like what, 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 people, I, I know. It's- I
1: would say the big thing that's come back is ugh, finally, that's like been mm. one of them. I think we've been in quarantine. So I've heard everything from the best sex I've had, <laughs> the whole quarantine to, mm-hmm. um, I now need a few minutes alone. Um, but I think that those are the, the, the lighthearted ones. I think overall, it's been um, extremely positive.
0: I, I, I can't wait to go hear more of them. It's an amazing journey, and welcome to the podcast world.
1: Yes. It's great to have this new outlet in a different way to create. We, we have received offers to turn this into a show, and so that may very well happen.
0: That'd be awesome. Which
1: would be which would be fun too. Uh,
0: you know what? I we've never talked about. I don't think in any great detail is our mutual Aaron Sorkin experience. And um,
1: no, we haven't. I, I
0: watched. You know, a few, a few good men is is one of those movies that, um, like the American president, like other movies, like when it's on, you're fucked. Like if you God help you, if you're you have somewhere to be, and you turn on the television and a few good men's on, you're, it's over. You're done. You're not going to be wherever you're going. You're done. Um and you're amazing at it. I don't even know if you knew that I that after the West Wing Aaron and I did a um a a new version of A Few Good Men in uh, on the West End. Um, I didn't
1: I didn't know that.
0: Yes, we uh did 260 performances at the the Royal Haymarket Theater. So I am very well versed in in that and you're so good in that. You're great in everything but uh, what what's your takeaway? Do you have any real memory of of what's your your best a few good men? I memory? have
1: like a you know there's a few one I had to audition for a few good men. Um,
0: of course, yes, Aaron. Same eight, with eight, um, eight
1: eight months pregnant, by the way. So like I, oh. it, I think I think I think Tom has expressed that he was like extremely like almost like embarrassed, uncomfortable. Obviously, like you, I had known him you know for a long time right, and right. so like seeing me in this huge belly having to do the scenes was just it was just funny um mm-hmm. that was memorable um and then you know was Aaron
0: there was Aaron Sorkin there he
1: was there a lot um was he
0: there at the, was he there at the audition
1: no he wasn't there for the at the audition
0: because he read um, with me he read he was my acting partner in the audition
1: oh wow well that would have you been had Tom great. Cruise
0: as your acting partner so you were I clearly in a better the- frame of mind <laughs>
1: Um, put it this way: It was a better audition for me than what I had to audition for Top Gun. That I did really well on the audition and then tanked the screen test. Um,
0: wait, wait, wait! How do you tank a screen test?
1: I don't know. I just for Top Gun. I, were,
0: were you like in a green screen and a jet? Pod? No, because you were playing the, what, yeah, the Kelly McGillis like, role.
1: Yes, I. I think I just like got too in my head, got too nervous, and uh, tanked it.
0: You would have been so, – got the notion of you and Tom and Top Gun. And Kelly McGillis is great, but that's a whole – that's so good.
1: But, you know, what's interesting, the other thing about – to go back to your question about other memorable moments, and I included it in my book, which is, you know, there was a real push from the executives for there to be a love scene between Tom and I and A Few Good Men – And just the subject matter and the whole tone, it was it was never there, you know, um, Mm -hmm. uh, on Broadway or. uh, And and it just wasn't right. It's what made it interesting is that it wasn't there. But that particular time period. And so there was um, an interview that Aaron gave, which I didn't know until I saw this later, where um, when he was being pushed to. To make a love scene. And the executives said, if there's not going to be a love scene, then what's Demi Moore doing in it? <sighs> like essentially, why is there a woman in it? What's the point? What's my value? Which was so, I don't know, kind of indicative of the time period. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. But um, yep. I just am so grateful that he's he and Rob both stuck to the truth, keeping it, you know, authentic to what it should have been, which made it more interesting, you know, oh, the, totally. uh, the the relationship.
0: That's one of those stories that, you know, is true from a studio executive at that era. Mm-hmm. Some dude said that.
1: Definitely, definitely. It was like not at that. Yeah, you're right. There was no reach for that. <laughs>
0: There's no reach. <laughs> And for the, for those of you who are not doing the math on this, Aaron Sorkin wrote West Wing, wrote A Few Good Men, wrote American President, and he's notorious. And he's, he's a guest, upcoming guest on the podcast. Here's what was interesting. When I did West Wing, the um, we would talk about A Few Good Men because it's an iconic thing. The movie is iconic. Um, but people forgot how iconic the play was before the movie. The movie has taken up mm-hmm. so much space in people's imagination, justifiably. It's... You and Tom, giant stars and a huge Jack. hit. Jack. Rob Ryan. Jack. I mean, Jack, come on. Come on. and You want
1: us on that. Oh, my anyway, God.
0: It's the best. Do you know what I watched the other day? Here's the scene I watched. You can have all the paperwork you want, but you're going to have to ask me nicely. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> and like, you're right. You're in. You're right there in like three steps behind Tom and all the coverage for this unbelievable-
1: Yes, it's what? so intense. It's, I mean, it it's was- so
0: intense? And what was, what was it like to, to be there for Jack throwing down like that?
1: F- you know what? First of all, you know when we look at actors that you, one, we just look up to and where you're, you're being shown the right way to do something. So in the yeah. big courtroom scene that was Jack's big day, they shot everything the other direction first. So it was like on the courtroom when he took the stand.
0: By the way, for those of you who do, listen, courtroom scenes for actors and dinner table scenes are horrible because you have to shoot everybody. So think of how many people were in a courtroom. So literally before Jack gets on camera, he's done it 60, 70 times. So many
1: times. So, and, you know, doing all the different actors coverage and and he literally gave like 110 the entire fucking day.
0: No way. Like,
1: I mean, he, get, I'm telling you, like, I kept thinking, wow, like he's going to lose his voice. So what's there on camera was literally the end of the day. And and I, I, I'm i sure that, you know, Rob may have, you know, given him the option and maybe he wanted it that way because it was such a big scene. But it that was like one of those things where you just like uh, uh, looking at, It's it's someone that you really look up to, where Mm -hmm. you're just, you just know, like, that's somebody who's like showing you the right way to be. They're showing up for the other actors generously, no matter who they are or where they're at. And it was, I just like had such appreciation for watching him that day. And every day, the only day that, um, you know, was interesting is that, You know, we know how much he loves the Lakers, and there was the big day (laughs) when they were going to, when Magic Johnson was going to give the news conference that he um, was HIV positive. So, the sun was going down, we're shooting the Guantanamo thing, and we couldn't get Jack out of his trailer because he was, like, waiting. Yeah. And didn't want to miss that moment. I'm sure. Other than that, it was just, like, great. It was easy. It was Jack. No pressure.
0: It's so funny because, you know, Jack, um, again, one of my idols, certainly, Um, and coming up and even living on, I think I ended up living on Mulholland as a young actor because Jack lived on Mulholland and Warren Beatty lived on Mulholland. And I think I got Laker seats because that's what the kind (laughs) of you build your life around, you know, what you think is cool and, and your heroes. And and there's something about Jack who's who's cool personified and somehow there's at least for me in my perception there was always like it was just surprising to me his workman-like ethic yeah with coolness like you don't associate workman-like and and craftsmanship and humility with cool right
1: no you're you're 100 percent right like, you think of it as, you know, somebody who's breaking the rules.
0: Literally. Yes. Like, you know. They're, oh, Jack, they're, he didn't show up till five o'clock every day. But everybody waited for him. And, oh, God, he came out of his trailer and he was drunk as a skunk. But, man, when the camera was on, he really put it together. All that bullshit no, you hear he about is other not,
1: people. I, he, and he definitely was not that. He was highly no. professional, highly, um, you know. Like, he set a standard that you also wanted to, like, live up to wanted to reach which was great
0: i'm inspired third hand hearing it from a story that happened many years ago it's like
1: but you know it's like those are the things where you just like you step back and just like feel such a depth of gratitude for Mm -hmm. all that we've experienced and seen and done
0: hold that thought we'll be right back So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone, and an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's Harry's dot com slash rob for a three dollar trial set. The weather is getting warmer. It's time to ditch the jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. But there's no need to waste money on clothes that only last one season. With Quince, now you can get high quality pieces that never go out of style. You'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must haves like 100 percent European linen shirts for thirty dollars performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering with the top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman and passes the savings directly on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. My producer recently made an order for Quince, and here's what he had to say. I'm really excited to revamp my closet with Quince. I cannot wait for my items to arrive from Quince. You know, I'm a sweater guy. I was looking at that burgundy cashmere crew neck. I love the blue chore jacket. Maybe I'll throw some joggers in there. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash Rob for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Rob to get free shipping and 360 day returns. Quince dot com slash Rob. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to literally long enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life and something I think we should be all doing as needed. Just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this and... We all carry around different stressors, big and small. We keep them bottled in and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time. For no additional charge. Get it off your chest. With BetterHelp, visit betterhelp.com/slash Roblo today to get ten percent off your first month. That's betterhelp H E L P.com slash Roblo.
1: It's such sad news that our buddy Joel, Joel Schumacher. Schumacher has has left us. I had I no know. idea that he was sick. Um <sighs> We had been I didn't having just text exchanges. Um,
0: Joel, Joel, for those of you, he, Joel directed St. Elmo's Fire among other um, – f- and Flatliners and Batman and, uh, I mean, and just on and on and on. But he was a huge part of our life, and that's how you and I met. Yep. In his office. It's the first time I ever remember seeing you. Actually, it's yeah. not true. I remember Where? seeing you walk onto the lot. Uh, so I – Was going to ask you this because there are. (laughs) Oh, I wasn't going to ask you this. I was not going to ask you this for fear that you wouldn't remember the first time you saw me, and my ego would be crushed.
1: It might be possible. I have some big. I have big black spots.
0: Yeah,
1: I I do have some things. I mean, maybe my hard drive is just so full that I. Yeah, maybe that's it. I've got to unload. I'm serious. There are. There is like some gaps of shit I don't remember. And then oh, yeah. there's other stuff that I remember so detailed that it's, like, annoying.
0: I know. Well, I remember the first time I saw you because I was um, – so there was this script called St. Elmo's Fire. It was floating around, and everybody – it was a kind of an it script, and everybody loved it. But I fancied myself as a, as a lead in movies already and uh, <laughs> wasn't going to be – wasn't going to sully my hands with being an ensemble Certainly. and But I kept hearing <laughs> about this. I kept hearing about this script and this script and this script. I mean, I had just worked with the great Tony Richardson on Hotel New Hampshire, don't you know? Um, which was going to be nominated for an Oscar. And, of course, did not. I don't think anybody saw it. Anyway. So, I was very fancy. and um, But then, eventually, I broke down and read the script. And it was fucking great. And... I really fell in love with the role of Billy Hicks, the drunken saxophone playing womanizing. Gee, I wonder why. I wonder what I wonder what part of that. I
1: wonder what, what, what your draw was. I
0: don't know. What do you think that was? Drunken, womanizing, music loving. I didn't. Big stretch. So um, I. But they wanted me to play the Judd Nelson role. Like they were not interested in me. And this is actually kind oh, of amazing. Oh, really? We, I didn't know that. Oh, th- no, they did not. They couldn't comprehend that I could be a bad boy. I showed them, by the way. Um, But they could not comprehend. Like, I was like this preppy, pretty, sort of well-raised, do-gooding Ohio. Like, and so they were like not, they weren't going to do it. So I had to go and meet Joel. It wasn't really an audition, but I had to go and like kiss the ring for this fucking ensemble. (laughs) Um, So... I go to the lot to meet Joel Schumacher. I look down. You know, Warner Brothers is that amazing, iconic lot. It's at the end of Blazing Saddles. It's iconic. There's something about that lot that is iconic. And the sun is hitting the the, the buildings perfectly. And this woman walks out into the street. And it, I didn't realize it was you. It was you. You were wearing your hair. You need to explain this to me. You um. were do you know you're wearing your hair? With no. Me?
1: Continue.
0: Okay. And um, I'm telling you, there's. You'll know, like the 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 story you told me about the studio executive. Like when I tell you how you're wearing your hair, you're gonna know it's true because I I couldn't possibly make this up. <laughs> I, I mean, so, just
1: knowing the time period, it's. I'm just already imagining something that's oh, so cringable. So no, no, please. it's
0: it's it, it was it's. I remember it. How many years later? So it, you okay. did the right thing. Your hair was long, as it always was, and it was – you had a big straw hat on, either a cowboy hat or some kind of a big straw hat on top of your head. But your long hair underneath it was wrapped up and around <laughs> on and on hat. top of and and basically hiding the hat. <laughs> uh, to I'm, this day, I'm, I've – that's very funny.
1: I, I can tell. like, I know, like, absolutely, because I have done that before, just to, okay. like, just to, like, I mean, there, I mean, there's a lot here, but, um, you know, like, I can tie it in a bow on the top of my head, but.
0: Oh, my um, God, I'm watching you do this right now. This is, oh, my <laughs> God, you should have done that. Yeah. You, oh, you were like a hair magician. So to me more, hair magician title, What was I what title. was I
1: thinking on this? I mean, I remember, you know, the big thing is that when I came to meet Joel, I was fancying myself as like being kind of, you know, super cool and I was, you know, riding a motorcycle. Oh, um, amazing. Of course, with no license, because who saw the point in that?
0: Like no. that was
1: just a waste would you of do my that? time. Really. I was also so I was a drunk at I was too. drunk
0: at the audition. You I was, were? Yeah, because they they thought I was a square, so oh, I I brought I, a, I brought I physically brought a six pack into the audition, but all it made me do is want to pee the whole time.
1: Yeah, I could see how that would happen, but it worked. They were like Joel was going for it. Joel, loved, you know the thing, ha- Joel loved having you on the set.
0: The other thing I love about Saint Elmo's Fire is in this Joel did this to the day he died. God bless him. The, even the most recent photos I saw of Joel, he was the instigator of, of a trend that didn't ever catch on, but he went down swinging with the trend. And the trend is multiple jackets layered upon each other. I mean, if that's worth If you notice in San Almas Fire, I have a Levi jacket and a Letterman's jacket. On top of each other and on and on and on. And that was Joel's thing. He was going to make that a national thing. It just never really happened, I don't think. I don't know. There's some people that
1: carry that on. I always, you the, know, Joel, Joel always looked to me um, like... Um, George
0: O'Keefe. Yes, a he male like George O'Keefe. O'Keefe.
1: Yeah, he did. But he looked
0: like George O'Keefe. He 100%. did with
1: his look. Well, I, I am most grateful for him, for sure.
0: And, you know, the other thing about Joel... And I, I'm sure that's what you're alluding to because you write about it in your book, which by the mm. way is fantastic, but Joe was one of the people who was you know was in uh responsible in you getting sober and you getting sober. you're the first person I ever know who ever knew who got sober you were, and I don't know i'm and I think I've told you this, but if I haven't, I mean I can't tell you what that's meant to me and what it did mean to me, and when it was time for me to get sober, um I was like. You know, I had somebody that I could like I know it worked for. I mean, mm-hmm. I think having for people to know people who it worked. Cause let's face it, a lot of times it doesn't and it doesn't take and all those things. And I and, and and I don't mean this the way it's gonna sound, but I was like, fuck, if she can do it, anybody <laughs> can do it. And I only mean that because no, because we were fucking wild. And we're look, we, we were
1: really, we were super young, which makes it hard to wrap your head around when that should be your time. Like, uh, yeah, this is when we're like trying everything. And, you know, look, Joel was doing for me what he couldn't do for himself because
0: mm.
1: he got sober so many years later. And I I didn't realize that, obviously, until he also got sober. and But I, you know, I had never had somebody really champion me like there was no reason like I didn't have any huge box office um for him to really be sticking his neck out it was an ensemble Mm -hmm. they could have definitely filled that with any any you know number of of you know young and -and up-and-coming actresses and you know the fact that he allowed me to start the movie um with 15 days of sobriety, that they paid for me to have a companion. And yep. that companion, they had to pay for, for 24-7 for the entire shoot. It just was not heard of, you know? Like, I think anybody else, you know, there's a good chance it, I would have just been looked at as a liability.
0: Oh, um, 100%. They'd be and, like, yeah, we will be the, the number two choice.
1: And But meanwhile, I, like it gave me something to value because i didn't value myself enough that is for sure to have any reason to be sober so losing that and i said this in the book like i don't i don't know if i would have been able to do it like i i didn't see myself as worth anything and and so you know it's like i love hearing that that reflection su- supported you in seeing that it was Possible, because I think we do help a lot of people even when we don't realize it or it's indirect and right but it gives meaning and you know helps me to know the value of it and um as somebody who took a interesting detour away from being sober, you know, I really value it even more so now um
0: well, let me let me ask you let me ask you something about that, and that's the other yeah. thing that's inspiring about you um is the only thing that's more inspiring about people th- than people getting sober, are the people get sober, fall off the wagon and then get sober again. That's stud shit.
1: It's it's look as you can imagine in different ways, like opening the door because I, ha- you know, have been sober more of my adult life than not, like practically all of it. I felt so stupid, like how stupid. That, that mm-hmm. I opened this door when I knew better, I knew that this just doesn't work I don't have an off switch I don't have um the thing that that tells me, particularly with alcohol that that I've had enough. I wish I did I just don't and but when I opened that door, knowing everything that I know, it was i felt I felt like I've got to figure out how to manage this. I have to figure out how to make it work because. If I've been stupid enough to open this door, uh, I've got to prove it, and so it made it harder to reach back and. N- it's not get sober; it's just even having to face my choice. That's what it is. It yeah. was like my ego didn't want um, want to have to face what I uh, the choice I had made. But I will say, you know, w- once I really turned around. Um, I'm, it's just I'm so much more free.
0: Does it feel different this time though? Like,
1: um, I feel like I am staying closer to my support system, mm-hmm. um, yeah. more engaged. I feel like I always allowed for the principles, particularly through the the you know through the program um, of AA. But I know if I had if I had stuck closer to the fellowship and um, meetings. When it was presented to me, the idea of, you know, that maybe alcoholism is, isn't is a real thing, it's just about moderation, it wouldn't have even been something I would have entertained had I yeah, stepped place. people close. would have been like, what? So I definitely feel a lot of appreciation. And, and I also, I mean, there's a part of me that can say, oh, why did I need to do that? But I accept that I did need to do it and for whatever reason and i'm stronger certainly i'm stronger and deeper within myself because of it
0: that's it's it's great i i i take great um i mean it empathy and and it's it's i'm glad when I'm glad when people come back into the pro, the, the program in, in recovery and tell me what it's like out there so I don't mm-hmm. have to go do it myself. I had a, a really, really, really yeah, good it's... friend, a really good friend who you mutually would know who was sober forever. and But he was young, really young, too, really young. And he was like, I just feel like I want to – I mean, I've been sober. I get it. I'm not going to go use drugs or I don't want to do any of that. But, like, God, I'm young and, like, I'm going to be working in Europe and, you know, it's like – I could have a glass of wine at dinner or whatever, and I'm like, okay. okay. <laughs> so, so on the this is my favorite. So on the flight to Europe to go work, he orders his first glass of wine. Within six months, he's in jail for biting a cop in the belly button.
1: Yowser!
0: Go figure. So I'm like. Okay. It's like you can almost like clockwork when somebody hits you with it. You know, I was just thinking maybe when they hit you with that, you can almost start the stopwatch.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can say I didn't like it, the decline wasn't like immediate, um, but well, that's know, the,
0: the scariest part in a weird way, right? Maybe Well,
1: the effort of negotiating, though, because I don't have a thing that helps me know, like how much is too much? So it's like that constant effort of negotiating, like, it, like oh, you've had two. Well, maybe I, sh- I can have two, you, oh, you know? And oh, wow. it's like the relief of it just being off the table. It's just like I don't need anything to have a good time. And I look, I have eight and a half years now, Jesus. and I had almost 20 before I opened the door. So, every once in a while, certainly in the early days of this second go-round, my, you know, my ego really struggled with having to say, I've got 30 days, I've got, you know, three months, six months, when I would, I would kept comparing, like, what I would have. But I, Mm. you know, I worked through, I worked through that because what I do know is that life is happening for you, not to you. And... And I just had to open myself up to see what it was trying to give me. And as opposed to what I had lost.
0: And we'll be right back after this. Summer is almost here. Are you ready to throw open your windows or throw them away? If they're drafty, foggy, or impossible to clean, talk to your friends at Window World. Window World specializes in home transformation with beautiful, energy-efficient windows, entry doors, and siding, featuring ENERGY STAR certification and the good housekeeping seal. Call 1-800-WINDOW-WORLD, schedule your free consultation, and tell them you heard about it here on Literally with Rob Lowe. Window World, America's exterior remodeler. Transform your bathroom cleaning with wet-and-forget- weekly shower cleaner, you just spray today and rinse tomorrow for a no scrub clean. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, this is your once-a-week solution to keeping your tub and shower surfaces sparkling clean. Available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. Join thousands who've switched to an easier clean. Get your wet and forget weekly shower cleaner today and make your bathroom sparkle with zero scrubbing. Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think Ghost is my favorite Demi Moore movie. Other than about last night. Listen. It always feels like About Last Night is a black hole that you never talk about, I never talk about, people never talk about, and yet it's fucking great. You like that movie, right?
1: I thought it was amazing. And, and you know what? It really, you know, captured a time. There's a, I mean, there's so many people that, that of a certain generation that it completely, um, you know, connected with. Uh, represented, I mean, the moment when I say it's official, I've become my mother. I mean, yeah. like, I can't tell you how many people have, have have like, identified with that. Um, you know, when I'm creeping out after the first time, you know, Danny yes. and Debbie sleep together and I'm, like, trying to get out of there, that was, you know, that was really a different perspective than the guy slipping out.
0: Right. You know, it was yeah.
1: definitely you know um, uh, an interesting statement of a different time, trying to really reflect that women, you know, um, were not just waiting for the man.
0: When, yeah, it, it's true. And then the, the the sort of traditional roles were reversed. There's there's that great sequence that people quote to me all the time, although it's your your line that they quote, where I'm I'm suspicious and jealous that you may or may not have been having an affair with a guy at work. And you're like, I don't really think it's any of your business. I'm like, well, did you sleep with him? And you're like, no, Dan, we were bowling partners. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, so you fucked him. So it's like, I I'm cast in like the shrew, like role. Um, But I, that's the one, you know, when people talk about eighties movies and Brat Pack stuff, and for me, that's the one I want people to watch. I love St. Almost Fire*. It's it's a different thing, but like about last night's a real movie. It's a real movie. It's it the performance. You're you're so good at Elizabeth Perkins is is amazing, ridiculous,
1: and Jim and Jim
0: J- Jim is born Jim to play Belushi, that part. Just so
1: people for people, other people who don't know and. Um, I thought it was, um, you know what? I felt like it was for us a, like a move to a grown-up movie. Like we went yeah. in a way to like, it went from being kids to grown-up. And.
0: Um, you know, what's amazing about that though, to me, here's what? what's amazing. And you just said exactly what I always try to tell people and they, they can't wrap their minds about it. There was a time in the movie business where if you were a 20-something, you could not wait to graduate to real movies or grown-up movies. Those movies don't exist anymore. Now...
1: Yeah. I mean, look, we didn't have... We didn't, like... We really didn't have a lot of young people in leads of movies. Like, no. Like, think about it. They, I mean, we were doing these ensemble pieces, the, all the John Hughes stuff, but... In general, we didn't have young people, so it, doing that like gr- getting into like the serious movies um,
0: Exactly. The- real movies. Our movies were never considered. And this is what's great about time. Time weeds out all the bullshit, and, and you remember what's, what's important or whatever. But when we made those movies, nobody no, the, the real people didn't give a fuck. They got bad reviews. They were looked at as teen movies and they weren't real movies. Real movies were terms of endearment. By the way, they are real movies. Those movies are amazing. But our movies weren't those. No way. They were like this like side hustle that the students But I think
1: that's going. a real reflection that that people of a certain age weren't valued. You know, yep. it's like still a a little bit of that like holdover from you know, when kids were still owned Mm. as opposed to being their own person. And so thereby there weren't really stories. We were kind of the, we were part of the beginning of stories about young people. And now you look at it, I mean, there are a whole demographic that are, you know, served and served generously.
0: Because about last night felt like we had graduated to the big leagues, and like we were, we were on our, we were on our way. We were going to do serious work and which of course hap- happened but but it it it's the notion that that those earlier movies were the minor leagues that's what's that's what's kind of amazing to to look back at well, Did you, and
1: way, now we can look at it that now n- now like we there are barely movies at all. So we were definitely- All the movies that I,
0: the the movies I grew up loving and the movies that inspired me would not be movies today. They, if they were made at all, they would be an eight part. You're not making Deliverance. Deliverance. If they make Deliverance today, it's an eight part Netflix show about a group of guys who get into it on the river. That, That They'll make it. Deliverance totally gets made today, but it's not a summer movie made with five of the biggest stars. It's just not. I mean, no. terms of endearment is not a summer release movie. Midnight Cowboy
1: oh, is, movie. A movie, is a movie
0: is a movie that, that you would make for scale and maybe it gets picked up at Sundance. Maybe. Maybe if you're lucky and, and look, it's different
1: time. And I don't like to I don't want to like say, oh, one was better over the other. It's just it's definitely different. Yeah. Like having something that's in a longer form um which i actually haven't done yet um you know doing something that's a limited series or um i think is also kind of really amazing um as an actor to be able to explore a character in a way that that yeah. e- you know evolves i mean you've done it um both in drama and in comedy and i just haven't really explored that that format yet but i think i think there's something Great about it. I don't know. What, what do you think? Yes or what, what
0: no? I do. I think. I think that people. I think the difference between sort of mo- movie acting and versus versus TV and and theater acting in particular is you're pl- you're you're playing the character in a movie. You're living the character on television just because of the amount of hours mm-hmm. that you you physically are that person. You know. You you're 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 you know, in what's going on in your personal life. It's like you're dealing with grief, or you're dealing or your kid had a birthday party, or you're late to do this. It's like every every iteration of life you can imagine, you're going to experience during the run of a television show, if it's long enough. There's only so much life experience that you're gonna go through in the four months or six months of a movie. So you you are truly living the character, which is it which is, I think, like as you said, it's a it's of equal, totally equal value, and I, I agree with you. I don't. I don't want to be like the man, like the, the you know the old guy. Ah, all day is the movie business because it's not. It's <laughs> not that there's there's so much good stuff that would never be done. But the notion that it's the same is, is is crazy. Tins crazy tins. So different.
1: I mean, look, I've said to my kids for years that the only thing in life that you can count on is change. Mm. It's the only true constant.
0: Yeah. And then, which means we have to have the ability to change with the change. And you, you know, a lot of people, I mean, and I, everybody struggles with it. I struggle with it. I'm, I'm not an early adapter to stuff. I'm not. And things happen so rapidly. Like, in fact, I'm deeply, susp- hence, I didn't ever want to do Planet Hollywood in the 80s. Like, I'm, like, such a curmudgeon that, like, anything sort of newfangled, by the way, curmudgeon in the word newfangled. I rest my fucking case. Who else, who else <laughs> yeah, uses but look at look at that all, word.
1: I have to like though reflect back to you. Look at how many things though that you've explored and tried. Like That's true. you're you know going and doing theater, doing theater in another country. Um, you know, like jumping in to do West Wing. Like that was like at that moment, that was like a a a, a really. Huge leap to step out from having just really been in film to do that. And um, like, there's a lot from then jumping in, you know, to do Parks and Rec um, uh, to doing this podcast. So you may come to it a little bit later, but you come to it.
0: Well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. And it's, it's, I mean, it's like, it's weird. I'm I'm good at ad- adapting and like to because I like the challenge and I like the uncertainty and I like the seeing if I can jump off the high dive of it all, of different things in career wise and sometimes by the way sometimes it gets me into trouble. I mean there there are times you know when I famously did a song and dance number with Snow White at the Academy Awards they asked me to do it and I was like yeah this sounds really great Sounds scary <laughs> it was a fucking unmitigated. That, oh, and you'll love this because you work with Barry Levinson. So, um so, so, so like it cuts both ways, right? Like being bold is right. really, really good. But then you also are bold and you find yourself in front of a billion people looking out at the audience, doing a song and dance number with Snow White, and all you can see is Barry Levinson's face. And he's about to win eight Oscars for Rain Man, and his face is literally going. What the fuck? <laughs> That's what I saw looking out at Barry Levinson. And then every year I get to be a, a punching bag when the Oscars roll around of like most embarrassing Oscars moments. I'm number one. No one's con- actually you'd think that when they couldn't figure out how to actually announce the best picture that maybe that might be more embarrassing. no. I'm, there's I'm, a, there's I'm, I'm a few.
1: I'm sure that you're you know you're in some good company.
0: There's a Snow few. White. And there, there is some there's some good, but I but the, and you know you no you can't bat a thousand, you know you can't bat a thousand and you know a you know a twenty twenty three year old kid is not going to say to Marvin Hamlish you know, who's won 17 uh, Oscars for The Sting and everything. I was like, I don't think the lyrics to this song are kind of, I, think, I don't think they're very good, Mr. Hamblish. It's not going to happen. <laughs> right? So, um, yeah. No, it's it's the lessons that we learn. We could write a book, but which is why it's we have. Like,
1: like it's like those are those beautiful gifts that are happening for you. It was like a beautifully humbling, you know, oh, yeah, it was humbling. E- e- ego-crushing uh, oh, it was Eagle Crushing. Gift.
0: Right? Oh, yes. I mean, well, we all have... And that's the other thing is, if you haven't had your time in the barrel, you're not in the barrel. Like, if, if you don't go through your um, batting slump, you're not in the major leagues. It comes for everybody, right? Even, oh, yeah. Even Robert Redford. Even, like, it doesn't matter what actor... Jack Nichols, who you are, you can look at anybody's filmography and go, wow, that's a cold streak. or And that's the gift of it, because if you're around long enough, the sheer math catches up with you. Well, and, I,
1: I think that's the thing in life that is, a, you know, part of an, the illusion that we think that it's, you know, when you're sitting on the other side, you think it's like just about the winds. When nothing is, uh, and nothing stays at that level, and if it did, one, it would be really uninteresting. Like if you knew every time that you were going to hit it out of the park, pretty soon it would be really boring.
0: It's like that great, um, that great episode of Twilight Zone with Sebastian Cabot, where the gambler has a heart attack in the casino and he wakes up in a room that's white. And it's an all-white casino, and there are hot women everywhere, and he. He's like, "Oh my God, this is everything I, I ever thought heaven would be. this is amazing and he wins and he wins and he wins, and finally he goes to Sebastian Cabot, who's like this like uh, the the, the m c of the the host and says, "Hey, listen, I know that you know in heaven all your dreams come true, but it'd really be interesting as a gambler, I need to feel the the, the thing that i there's a possibility that I might lose so if you could arrange that maybe every once in a while I could lose and Sebastian Cabot looks at him and says, what makes you think this is this heaven, is heaven.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's and that that's it. Like it's, you know, it, I I can certainly say, you know, that my, uh, my crashes are by far where I've had the greatest, you know, enlightenment, the greatest awakening, um, the, gr- the greatest opportunity, um, for knowing myself and facing myself and um, and loving and learning to love myself. It's not, the winds aren't, you know, what have made me get closer to feeling good about me. I mean, they feel good and it's nice, um, but it's, it's the, you know, it's when I've been uh, at my lowest that I feel like I, you know, have become i um, my greatest. So without it, you know, it would, we would flatline in a way you wouldn't, you're not alive.
0: So, I mean, this is why I love doing this podcast. I, I love it so much. I love to have people like you on who occupy such a, such a big place in, in people's memory and consciousness. And then, and then to be able to show the part of you that only people who really know you well um, ever get to see you know that part of you that I know and love which is how unbelievably thoughtful you are and how hard you work on yourself and um and have been since 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 uh, since day 1 and what an inspiration you you've been to me thank you this has been everything i thought it would be and more really true and more see yeah. get <laughs> it Wow, that was I hope that was as much fun for you, guys, as it was for me. Um, I could have talked to her for another five days. Um, there's just so much to cover in in just her life and my history with her and our similarities and what we've been through and um, but I, but I hope I hope it, it was what it was for you, pulling up a chair and being a fly on the wall of two old friends who've been through the wars together. Um, I, I'm really proud of that episode. That was really fun. I had a blast. And thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for listening. And um, if you enjoyed it, um, go and give us a rating. Um, those ratings mean a lot. And I read them. So you better be nice. Because sometimes your email is attached to them. I'm not saying I'll, re- I'll reach out to you, but I might. I'll see you next week on Literally with Rob Lowe. You have been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe. Produced and engineered by me, Devin torrey Bryant. Executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile. Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Stitcher. The supervising producer is Aaron Blair. Talent producer, Jennifer Samples. Please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.